You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Now grab a Bible and turn to Psalm 26. I'm just going to go through verse by verse, Lord willing, of the psalm, so I highly recommend you have a Bible open. I have no message apart from what's said in God's Word. Psalm 26 is where we are together. Well, after serving thousands of people, sur- serving thousands of people around the world and performing more than 400 written case studies, two men named uh, James Cousis and Barry Posner, they identified those characteristics that were most desired in a leader. So thousands of people worldwide surveyed 400 case studies. Think of the effort that would go into that. And they were surveying what are the characteristics most desired within a leader. In virtually every survey, this was the result. Honesty or integrity was identified more frequently than any other fruit in what is desired in those who are leading us. Integrity matters so much. Integrity is such a big deal. The world understands that, and trust me, God understands that too. Why is integrity so important? Here's why. Integrity defines who we are at the end of the day. Integrity is our character, and our, our character defines who we are and who we're not. Think of it this way. Integrity proves our character, and then it's character that ultimately defines our life. When you go to a funeral, at the end of the day, they're talking more about the character of that individual that left the greatest legacy than anything else. More than competency or accomplishments, character is what has the loudest voice Uh, through someone's life, okay? Integrity deeply matters to God. Look at it this way too. We're gonna hear this a little bit later on in the sermon. Integrity though is really our spiritual resume. Integrity or the character of our lives is what we bring to the table again of who we are. It's our spiritual resume that again defines again what God has done within our lives. So what's your spiritual resume looking like right now? That will be defined by integrity and character. So that's why then, as part of our Start Here Psalms series, which we conclude today, we're also including this message, Start Here for Integrity, okay? That's our sermon title today, Start Here for Integrity, because it's too important not to. So the Bible's open to Psalm 26. I want you to look at two verses just to start. I want you to look at verse 1. And then we're going to look at verse 11 together. But notice verse 1. It says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, okay? And I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Now look also at verse 11. The same phrase is used as the psalm ends. Verse 11. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, redeem me, and be gracious to me. Now when you're studying scripture, there's a thing called an inclusio, okay? And inclusio are bookends to a passage or portion of Scripture that can really define all the content within. This can be said about Psalm 26. The phrase, notice in verse 1, in the past tense, I have walked in my integrity. Then the psalm ends with, I shall walk in my integrity, is what David's saying, which really tells us the theme and the heart of this psalm is moral integrity. And so right now then, we're going to be looking at this, and we're going to be unpacking and asking, what does it mean to walk in integrity? Because integrity defines my life. i got to care about this. i got to care about what integrity looks like. How do I know if I'm walking in integrity? 
How do I know if I'm not walking in, in integrity? What does integrity actually mean, biblically speaking? Okay, These are the questions we're asking. I'm glad you've asked because this is what we're seeking to answer. So we begin today, start here for integrity. And I'm praying as the message goes on, the momentum will grow with it. Okay, Start here for integrity, point number one. Let's get into it right away. It's this. My integrity is integral. Okay? My integrity is integral. When I'm going to understand integrity, I have to understand just how integral it actually is. Verse 1, David says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. So notice this. Again, David, who wrote the psalm, he's calling out from God vindication. Now, what does vindication mean here? Vindication is, Lord, give me justice. Or, Lord, defend my reputation, okay? But notice the reasoning for David desiring the defense or justice of God. In verse 1, if you see, uh, vindicate me, O Lord, and that very next word, small little word, for, okay? Here's the, here's the reasoning. Here's the justification for David pleading with God for his vindication. It's rooted in his integrity. Vindicate me, O Lord, for, the reason is, I have walked in my integrity. And notice in verse 1, his integrity leads to this, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Okay? Give me justice, God. I have walked in integrity, and from my integrity, I have trusted you in the ups and the downs, in the storms and the calm seas of life. Integrity matters. You know what the tallest building in the world is? The tallest building in the world is found in Dubai. I believe it's pronounced, it's called the Burj Khalifa. It stands at 128 meters tall. Just think about that. That is 80, over 80% of a kilometer straight up in the air. Wow. Some of you know the building I'm talking about. Some of you don't. Here's a picture of it. You can take a look at it. It's pretty beautiful. It's pretty impressive. It's pretty amazing. You know, it's amazing. This building, um, world record, 160 floors, has the world's fastest elevator, 40 miles an hour. Wow. Has the highest swimming pool in the world. At, I think it's the 79th floor, Okay. It's a very, very impressive building to look at. However, however, the secret to the stability of this massive building, of course, is found underground. Before construction began, workers spent a year, a full year, just digging and pouring the massive foundation that supports the building. The foundation contains almost 59,000 cubic yards of concrete, weighing more than 110,000 tons. The reason the building is safe is because the foundation is strong, okay? If the building doesn't have integrity in its construction, it will not stand. The same is true with our lives as we seek to live this life in Jesus Christ. The impact of integrity upon one's life is that our integrity becomes our foundation, the foundation rooted in Christ that causes us to live without wavering. The reason some of our lives are teetering and about to fall right now is because we don't have a foundation underneath us. We're going to see in this psalm, our lives are built on sand or quicksand right now, and we're beginning to sink because we're trying to live apart from Jesus Christ. This will be your answer and my answer today if we are willing to listen. What does integrity mean then in the Bible specifically? What does integrity mean in the Old Testament? Integrity is this. It's wholeness of character. It's an undivided mind and heart. 
There's complete devotion to the Lord. That's the Old Testament understanding of integrity. In the New Testament, the words for integrity are like this. Simplicity, sincerity of heart, uh, truthfulness, uprightness, or completeness. It's interesting, even the world's definition of integrity, found here from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, has three meanings which are really good. Have you ever noticed that the best principles in business in the world really come from the Bible? You ever notice that? So, I mean, God's truth is, of course, universal. It just, it just works. Notice this, integrity. Firm adherence to the code of especially moral or artistic values, incorruptibility. Beautiful. You'll find that in Christ. An unimpaired condition, soundness. The person who walks in Christ will be sound. Again, so much like the Bible says. The quality or state of being complete or undivided, completeness. So incorruptibility, soundness, and completeness. Wonderful, beautiful descriptions and definitions on a secular point of view, but also tie so neatly with the biblical understanding of integrity as well. So integrity is our foundation for our life. Integrity leads to our character. Look at how David could petition God in the midst of his clear conscience because he was living a life of integrity. You and I, David, could not petition God in this way if we were living lives that were false. There's too much shame. There's too much guilt. There's too much fear. You're too afraid of being found out. You try to avoid God, let alone approaching him with boldness. But notice verse 1, for I have walked in my integrity. He's saying, my life has been consistent. My life is reliable. Can we say that? Would we be said of, I didn't actually mean to say it literally, but thank you for doing that. Bless your hearts. It's really great. It's really great. Can we say that about ourselves, that we are consistent, that we are reliable, that we are dependable? You know, when I, a young man, as a young man, when I came to Christ, I remember really taken up by this concept of biblical integrity. I can't remember exactly why it became such a passion of my heart, but true to this day, I remember a definition I heard when I was first saved of integrity, and it remains so true today. It's just this, simple. It's living one life. Um, it's living the same life, whether you're here at church, at work, at home. It's you are who you are, where you are, no matter what's going on. So integrity is, who am I when no one's looking? And then who am I when people are looking, and do those two things match up together? Integrity is a life. Again, there's consistency. There's the reliability. When I began this message with that survey by Kozniss and Posner, they included this. In this survey, employees counted honesty or integrity in their leaders as more important than vision, competence, accomplishments, and the ability to inspire others. The world gets this. Understand the value of integrity. Do we, we of all people, must understand the value and the power and beauty of integrity? For instance, if I just throw out some names or phrases, it's interesting what comes to mind. Let's say, remember um, Enron? Tiger Woods. It's sad. It's sad. One of the greatest falls from grace, if you want to call it that, or from pride anyways. Um, How about Watergate? We think of the mortgage crisis in 2008. All of that really was rooted in a lack of integrity fueled by greed and pride, dishonesty and deception. And millions and millions of people are negatively impacted by the accumulation of the lack of integrity seemingly among few. 
This is the devastation of a life that seeks to live apart from the ways of the Lord, from ways of integrity and honesty and truthfulness. Now again, employees know what they want to see in their employers. What about the employer of all employers, God Almighty? He's the one who values integrity above all. Just think all through Scripture, right? Have you ever thought about, again, the greatest sermon ever, Sermon on the Mount, started with the Beatitudes. What are the Beatitudes? It's just one massive command and exhortation for character after another. Blessed are the poor in spirit, brokenness. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's just, it's, it's dripping with integrity and character and honesty and truthfulness. God cares so much about integrity because integrity defines our character, which defines our life. Proverbs 10.9, the screen for you. This is for all of us here right now. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. Man, this is really, really exciting to live this way. Just to know that you're secure in who you are and, and like in the Lord. This is not so fun. But he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. So we know in a room this size, many people listening to this, okay? There are some here, you are living a crooked life. Two-faced, double-minded, hypocrisy, um, two lives, deception, lying, lying to your spouse, lying to your kids, lying at work. You're just a different person. You're one person here, a different person when you go. God in his grace is saying to you today through this message, he's giving you a warning right now. He's telling us all this. He says, be sure that your ways are crooked. You will be found out. It's just a, a matter. It takes, sometimes it takes a couple of days or a week or a month or a year, whatever it is. It, it will not end well. But he who walks integrity will walk securely. Super blessed by this quote by Kenneth Boa this week. He said this. This is very wise. He says, it's possible to live one life publicly and another life privately. But that's not integrity. It's an invitation for God's discipline. And it's true. Now, why would God discipline those who are you know, living two lives? Well, because he loves us too much not to. Like any parent who's worth their salt will discipline their kids. Because they love them. And they want to show them between right and wrong. Well, God is the perfect father. And he loves us too much to let us go. So when we seek to live two lives, one publicly, one privately, we're deceiving others. That invites God's chasing or discipline because he loves us too much to let us wallow in our own self-destruction. My integrity is integral. Secondly, my integrity will be tested. Look at verse 2. David says, now prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Why? For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I will walk in your faithfulness. Okay, verse 2 kind of blows me away. Verse 2, I'm struck by that. Really so powerful. You could summarize verse 2 as this in the phrase, nothing to hide. I've got nothing to hide, Lord, three times in one verse. See what David does? He willingly submits to God's examination. Could you and I do that right now? I mean, could you and I honestly say to God, prove me, try me, test me, nothing to hide. Notice he actually invites divine scrutiny. God, I invite you to prove me, test me, try me. Here's my heart and mind, God. I am hiding nothing. Do you see the power of a life lived with integrity as opposed to a life lived in deception or dishonesty? The life in deception is trying to hide all the time. Don't find me out. Don't... Integrity says, it's okay, man. I'm here. I'm here, 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 even before the Lord. It's like Psalm 139. Search me, search me, Lord, and see if there be any grievous way within me. David said that too. So powerful. 
And here's David. He says, test my heart and mind. In the Hebrew, that's literally um, my kidneys and my heart. But in the English, it kind of sounds weird. God, here's my kidneys and here's my heart, right? So we describe it as here's my heart and my mind, my innermost parts, everything I am. God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm authentic. I'm vulnerable. I'm transparent. I'm uh, filled with integrity, powerful to live that way. Notice, um, <clears throat> no pretending, no excusing, no acting, no faking. Prove me, O oh Lord. Try me. Test me. Again, are we in that place today? Could we say the same? Could we open ourselves up before the Lord? Could we say, prove me, try me, test me? I invite, Lord, your divine scrutiny and examination. You know, the reality is, many of us, that's the last thing we want. I don't want to pick on men, but I kind of do. But I'm going to pick on women too, okay? But, but it's amazing to me how many men refuse to be held accountable. They refuse to be known. They won't let themselves be known because at the end of the day, if you're truly known, you might have to do something about it. And so we live these lives where we shelter ourselves from actual light exposure because the light exposes the darkness. Do you know in John chapter 3, it says the single greatest reason people hate the light and hate Jesus, hate Jesus Christ? In John 3, it says because people love their sins so much. And because they love their sin, Jesus Christ is the light. So Jesus Christ is the light that would shine their darkness, would expose their sin for what it is, that would force them to change. Because they love their sin so much and they love evil, they hate Jesus Christ and they hate light. That explains our whole world right there. Don't give me Jesus stuff. Don't give me the Bible. Give me that stuff. Because then it's going to show me the error of my ways, the sinfulness of my heart, and present me with conviction that I actually have to change. So the response is, I hate Jesus. I hate the Bible. I hate the Christian faith. I love sin and darkness. You can read it. It's in John 3. Who of us are here today? We're running, hiding, covering, lacking integrity. You ever thought about how the church in our day I don't think churches actually, for the most part, intend to do this. But in the desire to be liked by man, in the desire to appeal to a greater audience, in the, in the desire to reach the culture, in the desire to be more relevant, the greatest danger with that is you start operating the fear of man and then you lose the fear of God. When you lose the fear of God and you start appealing to man, what happens is you start saying stuff that men want to hear that humans desire to hear. And what humans don't want to hear is conviction. They don't want to hear the truth about their sin. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want to be confronted. So you have a church set up that is really designed to make people feel comfortable, to make people feel easy, to not challenge them to change, and to not call for transformation. You know I speak truth. And what happens is you actually have a church operating outside of God's will because they're not actually preaching God's word. Because if you're going to actually preach God's word, I mean, 2 Corinthians 4, 2, it says the whole purpose of the word of God is to encourage, rebuke, right, reprove for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and complete for every good work. So when that ceases to happen, you have a church outside of God's will, not honoring the Lord and not giving him glory. This is why when I preach outside, not, not often, but sometimes you preach in another place and you end up there and you start communicating God's word and the way that people are looking at you, you're like, hmm, I don't know if they're used to this, you know? And you kind of get this people like, why is this guy yelling at me, you know? 
And like, how come he's so fired up? And why is he so excited? And why is he actually pulling us to truth and calling us to change? And you're kind of watching this take place. And inside, I'm kind of just like, this isn't going so great, you know? And then I'm like, man, I love our church. I love our church. Bible's open, hearts hungry. Um, how many people desire just to hear what God has said? You know, my heart for this, my heart is, Lord, I never want to be the source of offense. But I'm okay if your truth is, is the offense because it's your truth, ultimately not mine. So that's my prayer. And pray for me within that as well. But as long as I'm not the offense, and if you are, Lord, then so be it. Because truth, by definition, is exclusive and will be offensive. But let's be so careful in our day. You see the environment that is being created, that is lacking integrity, because it's lacking the very truth of God's word and actually calling people to change. And that's why over the years, I've been pastor here since the very, very beginning. And I've seen over years, you know, I don't know, so many times, people, you know, getting up and leaving. And I don't think they're going to the washroom. You know what I'm saying? And they're grabbing their jacket and their purse and their kids. And you know what I mean? So like they're not coming back. And you just, you watch that happening. You're like, all right. Again, looking down and saying, sometimes I'm like, man, what I say, you know? But at the same time, it's like, well, Lord, this happened to Jesus. So it's going to happen to others as well who follow him. It's really important, though. Integrity is built within this, man. In our day, in our day, it's not a time to slide backwards into the fear of man. It's actually a time to push forward with humility and grace towards the fear of God. Because that's what integrity does with the Word of God. Let's look at this from another angle. Consider how much of our lives is spent on what we might call image maintenance, okay? So living with a lack of integrity, what's image maintenance? The time we spend so much energy trying to get people to think about us in a certain way, in the way that we want them to think about us, okay? So think about so much time in the way we have our conversation. Our conversations so often are designed by us to create an image of us in front of others so they see our good side. No, no, take, this is my good side. Take a picture here, right? And not our bad side, because our bad side would actually reveal who we really are in some ways, and we're human. So our conversation is guided toward our strengths and guided toward our accomplishments, and we spend so much energy building up this false image of ourselves, which isn't even true. It's a lack of integrity. Social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, it's incredible how much time is spent on that, creating an image of our lives, of our families, of our friendships, where all we do is it's one big joy and fun time after another, no pain, no sorrow, no grief, and we're creating this image, trying to appeal to someone to gather identity. It's not even true. It's false. It's false. That's not integrity. How about so much of our money we spend trying to form an image Purchase a certain possession, want to be seen in a certain light, have to be seen in certain clothes, driving a certain car, living in a certain home. We spend money we don't have to create something, an image that isn't true. How dumb is that, honestly? That is the dumbest thing I've heard in a long time. Dumb, 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 dumb. It is so dumb, right? We are propping ourselves up in a false image. We're spending money we don't have. That is so foolish. Getting into debt, ruining our lives. It doesn't work out anyways. It makes us more miserable in the end. Our marriages start to disintegrate over the stress. We're trying to get approval from people who don't even really like us for the right reasons. For what? For nothing. So much time, energy, money, even this. So much of our effort is spent in trying to please God in somehow thinking He'll like us more. 
God, if I do this, if I uh, 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 dive in legalism, if I'm obedient to you in a certain way, if I perform, God, you'll pat me on the back and say, now I like you. What is that? That's anti-gospel. It's called grace. You can't earn it, man. He loves you because of grace. You can't make him love you more. You can't make him love you less. And we go around performing duties somehow thinking that we're going to be better than the person beside us because we're doing certain things and God suddenly approves of us. That's not biblical. That is crazy. It's a waste of time. It's creating false images of ourselves. It's a lack of integrity. You know, we so, we're so desperate for the approval and respect of those around us because we're so insecure. I read this quote this week. Henry Blackaby, so good. He said this. He says, but the great leaders of Scripture never had to insist on people's respect. Why? 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 Because God saw to it that they were given it. Okay? What are you saying there? The great leaders of Scripture didn't plead with the people, you must respect me. God is the one who authenticated them. Man, if you can live with faith in that biblical principle, it will save you so much uh, anxiety, heartache. You know, it's like, husbands, you want the respect of your wife? Man, like, you live a life of integrity before the Lord, and it's coming. Like, when God authenticates he doesn't miss the mark. He doesn't miss the mark. It's so powerful to rest in the Lord's ways, not our own. That's integrity. I think about this stuff so often because otherwise I'll become victim to my own fleshly devices and it never ends up well. The power to say, Lord, you know, you authenticate, I can do nothing. Now, how could David say, I have walked in integrity, I've trusted you without wavering? Look at verse 3 now, okay? I want you to see this. He says, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Now notice this, okay? He says, verse 2, prove me, try me, test me. Now that word for again shows up in verse 3. That's the transitional word. Test me, prove me, try me, for, right? My eyes are on your steadfast love, I am walking in the faithfulness of God. Do you see his source of integrity? His source of integrity is so filled, his eyes on the love of God, he is walking, his life is in the faithfulness of God. When your gaze is on his love and your life is lived in his faithfulness, honestly, you don't need anything else. Look at verse 4, right? I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. You see what's happening there? He's so filled with God's love, walking in God's faithfulness, he doesn't, you're like, like when, I, when I'm satisfied in the Lord, evil, you're like, no thanks, Blech. get away from me, man. That's a waste of time. That's just going to bring me down. That's just going to hurt me and kill me and destroy me. That's going to ruin my marriage. That's going to kill my love for Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. He's everything I need. My source of integrity is the love, steadfast love, and the faithfulness of God. And so therefore, I don't want to be around evil. Now, this is where integrity is tested, isn't it? A few questions for us right now on this. Do I love evil more than I love the Lord? Now, if I walked around the room right now and I asked you, hey, do you love evil more than God? I mean, as if you're going to be like, yeah, I love evil more than God. But let's think about that for a second, okay? Let's think about that. Um, how do we find out where our hearts are at? Time, uh, affections, money, thoughts, those show us what we truly love. If we took a genuine survey 
of our time, affections, how we spend our money, thoughts, there'd be a lot of idols being propped up. There'd be a lot of things right now that would be held up as kind of idolatry, okay? Now, idolatry is evil. Anything that gets our attention, affection more than God is an idol. And so those things are evil. So let's just, before we're so good, oh, of course I love God. Is that proven through our lives? Is there integrity to see that we actually love the Lord most and He's our first priority in these ways with our affections, our time, and our priorities? Here's another question. Do I entertain falsehood over God's truth, right? What am I filling my mind with? Am I laughing at the sin of the world? Do I spend the majority of my time on the internet and, and hanging out with certain people that it's just, it's, it's not based on Jesus at all? There's no light there, way more than I would be in God's truth, right? Well, that's going to be a problem when it comes to integrity. Um, do I allow hypocrisy in my life as opposed to honesty? Meaning, do I sit in church and then a day later I'm sitting with the wicked? Now, when sitting means, am I partaking? Am I involved with? Am I, you know, uh, uh, allowing that to kind of be my life? Am I sitting in church one day and then the very next day I'm sitting with the wicked? That's two lives. That's double-minded. That's not integrity. This is why it's ever so vital. This, This topic is so vital. Why? Because we become what we desire. We become what we desire. Bad company ruins good morals, and as the Bible says. So this is when we say, Lord, would you, would you fill us with a conviction for integrity before you? Lord, fill our men with a conviction of, integ- of humility, humility. Fill our women with a conviction of true beauty, the beauty that the Lord upholds, not beauty in external adornment and, and jewelry and makeup and clothing, but a true beauty. Fill our young men with a conviction for the Lord in purity, not becoming disasters uh, swimming in the sea of lust and self-destruction, of demonic activity, of pursuing things that are literally destroying the world, or a young woman to be filled with, with a conviction for integrity of true identity. Their identity is not in how they look. Their identity is who they are in Jesus Christ. The conviction that will carry among our leaders in this church of sincerity and among our pastors of authenticity and among our elders of being all of these things and genuinely filled with a conviction for integrity before the Lord. Living one life, honoring the Lord. Again, think about it. Think about it. Our integrity is our spiritual resume. Our character is our spiritual re- And what is our character? Our character is the accumulation of our sanctification in Jesus Christ. Sanctification is growing more like Christ. So our character today, our character is the gathering up of how we've grown in Christ over the years and presenting it before others. That's our spiritual resume. Character. Character. More than anything else. Not competency. It's not your giftedness. It's not the groups you've led. It's not the ministries you've been a part of. No, no, no. The spiritual resume, fundamentally based on the Bible, is integrity found in character, and it's the accumulation of your growth in Jesus Christ. How are we doing? What's our spiritual resume looking like? How have we grown? What would the Lord say about this? 
Indeed, our integrity will be tested. Thirdly, my integrity will be rewarded. It will be rewarded. So look at verse 6 now. Okay, so watch this. So David now, now the fruit of his integrity begins to be seen. Verse 6, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord. Okay, I suggest to you, okay, the first reward of integrity in this psalm is purity. Okay, verse 6, it's purity. Notice there's an expectation of worship because he knows as best he can he's innocent. Approve me, try me, test me. He's seeking to live a life before the Lord of authenticity. So there's a, I want to worship you, Lord. I'm around your altar. There's innocence within my life. Reminds me what Charles Spurgeon said. And, okay, listen carefully. It's so good. He says, a clean conscience is a little heaven. Meaning, having a clean conscience is like having a little heaven unto itself. Think about how powerful it is to live a life where you're genuinely walking straight ahead, looking at, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Think about that. Think of how beautiful it is. Think of the power of looking straight ahead and just focusing on Jesus. You, you know you're sinful. You know you're not perfect. But the best you can by the grace of God, you are walking straight ahead in your life looking at Jesus Christ as opposed to living a life where you're like this always looking over your shoulder because you know you're not have integrity, you know you've been dishonest, you know there's deception, and you're always afraid of being caught. It's a horrible feeling. It's a horrible way to live. You instantly become different people because you have to keep presenting a side you want people to see. You build one lie on top of another lie. There's forms of deception. There's dishonesty. There's no peace. You have no vision straightforward because Jesus Christ because you're so busy looking around you hoping I don't get caught, I don't get caught, I don't get caught. Even now, those of us who are in this place right now during this message, spiritually you're looking over your shoulder. Oh, God's going to catch me. God's going to catch me. He is. He is. And all that you're forfeiting but then the power, again, again, we all go through seasons of pain and guilt and shame. We all go through seasons of sin that has brought us down. We've all gone through seasons and will go through seasons where we're not at our best. And we feel so, again, we're so grieving how we've grieved the Holy Spirit. But to be right before Him and to repent of sin, to confess of this, and to get yourself knowing you've been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then to walk, men, men, to walk in your home, within your marriage, with a clean conscience, bam, that's powerful. Knowing, hun, I'm a sinner. You know I'm a sinner, but I'm seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing to hide. That is awesome. With your children walking through, you're a sinner. You make mistakes. You have faults. But children, I'm trying to seek the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing to hide. Powerful. As a pastor of a church holding God's word, I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I'm trying to follow the one who is perfect. But at the end of the day, to trust in him and hold God's word and say, Lord, you know my heart. Nothing to hide. Man, that's a good feeling. Man, that's a good feeling. And that's a reward for integrity. The opposite is devastating. Some of you right now, man, the Lord is shining a light into darkness. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Like This is your chance. Are you, are you going to run farther away? Are you going to hide more? Are you going to go further into the depths of demonic darkness and destruction? Or will you repent and turn around and allow the love of God to cleanse you and the grace of Jesus Christ to heal you and secure you in His faithfulness and His mercy? Notice the next fruit found here. Notice verse 7, the fruit of thanksgiving. 
proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. Proclaiming thanksgiving. You ever wonder why you're so grumpy all the time? I mean, I don't know if you are or not, but I know that many of us can fall into ruts where we're grumpy, complaining, bitter, resentful, no joy, no gladness. All we see is what we don't have. You ever wonder about that? You ever, ever connected to the fact that your grumpiness might be related to the lack of integrity in your life? This whole psalm, it's really the, the logical theological sequence from verse 1 all the way through verse 12. And here we are in verse 7. And David says, I've walked in integrity. Prove me, try me, test me. My eyes are on the steadfast love of the Lord. I've walked in your faithfulness. I have shunned wickedness in my life. I am here now in purity. And all of a sudden, he's shouting thanksgiving. Hmm. Coincidence? No. No, that's not a coincidence. That's the Lord working through his life. When you see the Lord Jesus Christ, you are filled with satisfaction and you are thankful. Because you can't truly look upon Jesus Christ and be grumpy. You can't do it. Not spiritually speaking. Not with a true heart. That's the fruit of integrity. Our grumpiness will be diminished and our thankfulness will be raised to the front. Notice the next fruit of integrity is God's presence. Verse 8, you've got to have that underlined, okay? It's so good. So I want our whole church, I want the whole church to have verse 8 on our minds and hearts because it's so huge. Notice David's love and passion, okay? This is where David is just separated from so many in Scripture. Oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house. What's the habitation of your house? The Holy of Holies. The innermost part of the temple. David loves and longs for the presence of God. He says, I love the place where your glory dwells. He says, I love it. I love your glory. So amazing, you know? Let me ask you this. If you look at verse 8, is verse 8 a friend or a stranger to you? Now, what I mean by that, if it's a friend of yours, you look at verse 8 and you're like, yeah, it makes sense to me. Like, I, I find myself wanting that, praying that. It's something I think about often. But some of us are honest. We look at verse 8 and it's a total stranger. And you're like, I can't remember the last time I've kind of even had the thought of longing for the presence of God's glory, where I love the glory of God so much more than everything else. Because what happens is often in the life of the believer, we see God, but we're like, God, can you give me a few things? God, I need you to provide for me today. I got to pay this bill. I want some safety when I drive here. I need you to provide strength when I get through this. Which could be all great stuff, right? But it's missing one massive element. See where David's kind of starting point is when it comes to his adoration and affection? I love your glory, Lord. If all I do is worship the Lord, I'm so good with that. Because your glory is what I seek and your presence is what I long for. Because in your presence there is fullness of joy. And nothing else in this world comes close to that. And you see, this is where when verse 8 becomes your friend, wow, man, things get powerful. And I'm telling you right now, okay, verse 8, the power starts. It goes seat by seat, row by row, aisle by aisle, section by section, okay, and then church by church. What do you mean by that? I can't do verse 8 for you. You can't do verse 8 for me. But I can encourage you, and you can encourage me. But as each seat on their own decides, I'm going to pray and desire God's passion and glory for my life, when you start doing it, you start doing it, you guys start doing it, and it started, the fire starts getting lit and gets contagious down here, and, and this section is like going up in flames, in the best sense of that phrase, all right? 
and so beautiful and the fire for the Lord Jesus Christ is getting so hot and each person decides, I genuinely long for the presence of God. I love the glory of God. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I become less and Jesus becomes more. Praise the Lord. Then you find me a group of people individually and corporately coming together for that. Look out. Look out. The enemy is terrified of that. And lives will be changed in massive quantities and God's presence so clearly and tangibly being among us. But you got to want it. Let me ask you, pastor to people, people to pastor, I mean, honestly, do you want this? Like, have you thought about the truth of verse 8? And if you haven't, let's start thinking and praying about it quickly. Because this, this, this is where life is lived, in the presence of the Lord. You know what A.W. Tozer said? He says, the great tragedy in the church, though, is that the Holy Spirit will not go where he's not invited. He won't go where he's not invited. Let us be tremendous friends with verse 8. My integrity will be rewarded. My integrity is integral. It will be tested. It will be rewarded. And finally and fourthly, this, my integrity is but grace. My integrity is but grace. Okay, this is an important place to end. Okay, why? Verses 1 to 10, David's like, I'm going to do this. I'm resolved for action. I'm going to make decisions. Like, he's really saying, um, um, prove me, try me. I'm walking in my integrity. There's so much of that, which is good. The Bible calls for imperatives all over the place, right? Commands of action towards holiness. We are to work at our salvation with fear and trembling. That's on us, okay? God works in us, and we want to work it out within ourselves as well. But it's so important to end here in verse 11, okay? And 12, watch this. Because at the end of the day, our integrity is grace. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Okay, notice David's theology now. He says, redeem me, redemption. That's a, that's a doctrine beyond him. Redemption is not of David, it's of God. Notice, be gracious to me. Grace is not of David, it's beyond David. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God. Again, he can't do that, it's all from God. My foot stands on level ground, okay? On Christ the solid rock I stand, okay? His foundation is not his own. His foundation is the Lord. It's not him, it's beyond him. In the great assembly I will bless the Lord. His praise is not in man. His praise is not in self. His praise is is beyond him. It's in the Lord God Almighty. So what we see here at the end of the day Our integrity is actually rooted in proper theology in one person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one where we get our integrity from. Because think about it. Jesus was the perfection of integrity. Think about it in his life. In Jesus' life, he never lied. Never had a wrong motive. It was never inconsistent. Just imagine that. Never once, never once had an inconsistency. Was never envious, never jealous, never selfish, never double-minded, never seeking people's approval for selfish gain, never pretending, never faking, never insecure, never engaged in Facebook image maintenance. Amazing. He's so beautiful. He is the perfection of integrity, and David knows it. Now connect that with 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, eyes of faith, we can now see the gospel, the glory of God, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see Jesus Christ, we are being transformed into the same image. What's the image there? What's the image? 
I know you're so nervous, so nervous. I know I am too, and I'm sitting there too. What if I get it wrong? What if I get it wrong? It is Jesus. Some of you here, it's Jesus. We're being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another, okay? Jesus is the perfection of integrity. Jesus is the perfection of life. Unveiled face, beholding his glory, being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another. The more I behold Jesus Christ, the more I see the steadfast love of Jesus Christ, walk in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the more I become like Jesus Christ, the more I become like Jesus Christ, the more I have the integrity of Jesus Christ in my life. It all starts with him, and it all ends with the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. There's none like him. He is so awesome. He is so beautiful. He is so amazing. The woman reaches out, even touch the fringe of his garment, I shall be healed. Who else can do that? No one. Jesus Christ is the only one. You see what happens here? My integrity at the end of the day is but grace. It's but grace. And then look at the end of verse 12, or the beginning. It says, my foot stands on level ground, okay? See what's happening here? See what integrity does? Integrity stands on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Again, let me say it here. Some of us right now, we're living lives, uh, double-minded, two-faced. We are living lives of deception and lies, dishonesty, lacking integrity. We're different people here than we are tomorrow. Okay, listen, you have to understand. Here's what the Lord says to you. You are standing in quicksand right now. You are sinking. People around you can see it. Why do lives fall apart? Why do marriages break apart? Why do children get so devastated? You have lives lived without integrity, living for things other than Jesus Christ, living in sin. They're sinking down and they begin to lose their life altogether and they are destroying themselves slowly at the same time quickly. Because you're standing on sinking sand. It will not work out for you. It might feel good in the moment. It might look like it's fun for the time being, but the reality is you will sink and your life will sink down with it. Then there's the rock-solid ground of Jesus Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. See, the Lord says to you right now, He says to you, listen, wisdom, don't be foolish. Who here right now, you know, you know, the Holy Spirit is so clear you're in quicksand. You're in quicksand. You've got to get to solid ground. Jesus Christ is solid ground. His love for you, His grace He extends. You know, I really believe Jesus even, He reaches out His hand to you right now. He reaches out His hand to you right now. He says, my child, but you've got to grab my hand. You're drowning. You're sinking. Reach. He's like, child, you've got to grab my hand. What, what will it take for you to finally reach out and grab the hand of Jesus Christ and be lifted up to the true foundation that won't make you the most popular but will make you alive with eternal life, never to die again. What will it take? It takes faith the size of a mustard seed to believe that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again to cover your sins, to pay for your sins, to defeat death, that you might say, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground, is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would save many even here now. I pray for those of us, Lord, who understand where integrity is not. I pray we will care deeply where our character, Lord, is inconsistent and just maybe dishonest. By the grace of Jesus Christ, Lord, may we be found complete, upright, devoted to the Lord. Again, loved ones, Jesus reaches out his hand 
to you today. By faith, grab it. Grab out his hand and let him carry you to rock-solid ground that will never be diminished, that will never be destroyed, and that will literally bring you to eternal life. Oh, Lord, may it be so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.